Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. This week we learn about some new sustainable programs and initiatives to help improve our environmental footprint. So what happens when you place green parks and green zones around the cities? What does that do for the environment? What do solar panels do for the environment around them and can that change the way that plants grow? Plus we find out ways to help turn your innovative new environmental idea to reality. It's easy to see why everybody likes solar panels. Not only do they lower your electricity bills, they also help tackle climate change by reducing carbon emissions and reliance on fossil fuels through the use of renewable energy. But do they have an actual impact on the world around them and their local environment? And a study performed by environmental scientists at Lancaster University in Swindon in the UK have been finding out what exactly happens near and around large solar parks. Now, the study has found that the solar parks themselves actually start to alter the local climate and they can actually reduce the temperature around the park by as much as 5 degrees Celsius during the summer. And the effects vary based on the time of day and the time of year. So this is really interesting to understand because normally when we think about the benefits of solar panels, we think about the benefits in terms of renewable energy produced, but not so much about the actual impact of a large-scale installation of solar panels on the environment around it. And things like changes in temperature and sunlight absorption and so on, they can have a real impact on the vegetation around those solar panels, and thus from the vegetation to the wildlife and the whole ecosystem. In fact, it forms its own little microclimate. And the problem here isn't so much when you place a solar panel on top of a building, that's fine, that space is already taken up by something else. But if you place the solar panel on a field, some grass, for example, like often is done on the sides of a hill or or just in a flat field or plain, this obviously has an impact on the ground and the plants growing on that ground. And this is a challenge because compared to other sources of electricity, solar panels take up a lot of space per unit of power generated compared with other sources. So in terms of their power generation density, they're actually quite poor performers from a space perspective. And this means that if you compared with planting crops or trees or other things there, or using the ground as the soil as carbon storage, this actually does impact on the wider picture some of the ecological benefits. So this is a challenge to consider, right? So is solar is having solar panels planted in the ground as good as planting an entire field of trees or crops or other things that can assist in improving carbon capture and storage and part of the ecosystem? So yes, it helps us with electricity, but is it really the best use of that space? And is there any other impacts on the surrounding microclimate? On the flip side, if you're actually lowering temperatures and changing the the environment, it can actually help farmers choose better crops to grow in the environment around the solar panels that actually benefit from this. And, you know, if you take somewhere that's very, very sunny uh, and has a lack of water, you could actually consider using the shade under the panels to grow crops that can't survive in the full sun. And that also has a slight benefit of improving water usage and runoff because it now then can be captured from runoff from the solar panels and used for crop irrigation. 
So there's also another way to reuse this benefit of the solar panel coverage over fields to actually help improve farming. The main result of this study is that you need to consider the big picture. Solar panels offer us a lot of benefits in renewable energy, but they can change the local environment in the, around them in the microclimate, particularly for large-scale installations. But there's also a potential way to use that, especially in really big, large areas, to help grow other renewable sources of food or biomass. So this is some great work being done out of the University of Lancaster. So when we think about sustainable use of land, one of the biggest, well, challenges is the situation with palm oil. So for those of you who aren't aware, deforestation is a huge problem in areas like Indonesia, Malaysia, and other places with great forests, or maybe South America like Uruguay. And globally, um, palm oil production went from about 6 million hectares to 16 million in, in 2010, which is about the same size as a full country such as Uruguay. Now, the, the oil itself is used for cooking and as a food additive, and it's about 30% of all vegetable oil worldwide. But the problem is that it's very controversial because most of this huge expansion in available palm oil production has come at the expense of biodiverse, rich, lush, tropical rainforests, which were cut down, burnt sometimes, to make room for these new plantations. And this has contributed to lots of huge problems such as the smog and the fires and the, and the tremendous health damage we've seen from that in countries such as Indonesia and Malaysia. The challenge is that people are doing that because it's really, really helping them economically. It's helping to lift millions out of poverty in Indonesia and Malaysia, which are the two top palm oil producing countries in the world. And if it's the number one cooking oil in Asia, there is a huge demand for that. And that's a problem because it's helping people out economically at the expense of the environment and robbing a rich biodiverse country, um, pieces of rainforest, which have endangered species such as orangutans living inside them, which you've probably seen footage of. And it also really hurts us in terms of removing a great carbon dioxide sink, which helps reduce our overall climate impact. So if there's demand for it, how do you actually do it without damaging the environment? And a recent study published by the International Institute for Applied Systems Analysis in Vienna, have been looking at which areas you could actually target and grow palm oil sustainably in a way that doesn't damage the environment, but still lets you expand. And this has been published in the journal Global Environmental Change. So what they did is they looked at all areas of hectares of land globally that are suitable for palm oil production. So about 1.37 billion hectares of land in Africa, Central America, South America, and Asia. And then they removed things like, okay, well, which is land is already being used for other purposes, such as farming, cities, residences, and so on. And they sort of took a big snapshot and then started taking out areas where obviously you can't grow because people already live there or are using it for something else. They then took out areas that were used for protect that are protected by law, as well as forests that are particularly valuable from a biodiversity or a carbon storage perspective. So they took out all those endangered or important forests. And what you're left with is about 19.3 million hectares of land very suitable for growing of palm oil. 
and are available for future production. Which means that it's it's actually more than what's currently being used, about 18 million hectares for palm oil production. And these areas, these new areas, they're not in areas that are... They're areas that are in, if we use, wouldn't actually substantially damage the environment. So great there. We're not robbing, robbing one side to pay for the other side, uh, destroying ecologically beneficial areas to put in a farm, for example. But about half of them are less than 10 hours to the closest city, which is better than the current situation, which... Where, far, where these palm oil plantations are very, very far removed from any local city and therefore very removed from any means of production and thus expensive. So the purpose of making these... These maps have been made available to the crowd and to, to anyone by the IIASA. And the purpose of that is to really have an informed conversation about palm oil. Now, obviously, palm oil production is leading to huge problems from an environmental perspective, but there may be a way to do that sustainably where you can put palm oil farms and plantations in areas that don't damage existing wildlife and ecosystems, but still meet the market need, and thus avoid deforestation and lead to a more sustainable farming practice. There are a lot of great and interesting projects to help improve the environmental friendliness or the green amenity of areas of our cities. The conversion of old dead space, either ex-industrial space or unused things like train tracks or so on, into parks or environmentally friendly areas, this is part of a process that's known as greenification of cities. Um, places are becoming more and more green eco-parks, which are really helping the local environment and helping the community around them. For example, the old disused rail service line in New York became a roof top or roof level garden called the High Line. And it's this beautiful ex-industrial space that is converted into a lush garden that can be enjoyed year round by all members of the community. And since it's a garden with wildlife space, it's actually leading to the environment, the local environment of that area improving substantially. And this is great, but it needs to be understood in probably a wider context. Because whilst it is having pretty great medium and long-term benefits around that area, it can potentially be leading to downsides for other groups. And this has been investigated by the Institute of Environmental Science and Technology at the Université Autonoma de Barcelona. And they looked at, across Europe, the examples of these green parks to see if there was any sort of green gentrification going on. Now, gentrification is a concept of taking an old suburb that's run down and, and sort of dilapidated, been known as, known as a low socioeconomic area, and improving that and having it become a really high wealth, high desirable area to be in. An example of this is obviously a lot of the, a lot of the boroughs of New York or perhaps Soho or Notting Hill in London, which went from being sort of places full of old warehouses, and as industry moved out, they can be converted into exciting and fun places to live in with lots of young people, lots of amenity, lots of cafes and stores. And in Melbourne, we have areas like Brunswick, Fitzroy and Richmond, which are undergoing the same transformation from industrial work, 
workhouses of the city to actually really desirable and expensive places to live. And it's the inexpensive part that's the real challenge. So this was investigated in Europe as part of the Grenlis project, the green locally unwanted land use has been, which was studied by the European Union. And they looked at over 20 cities in the United States and 20 in Europe. And they tracked the environmental uh, desirability and parks and eco-projects that they had. And they also compared that largely to the social health and impact on the residents themselves. So between 1992 and 2000, about 18 new parks and gardens were created in Barcelona. For example, in San Andrew, San Martin, Noa Pasi, Situa Vela and Jota Guanado. And the results from studying these areas over you know, a long period of time shown that the environmental improvement process have led to tremendous house price appreciation and the lower income residents of these areas have actually been expelled and replaced by wealthy neighbours. Uh, and that to do this, they actually studied lots of different things. Residents with university degrees, migrants who were living in the area, age of people, residents' income and house value. And when looking at those parameters, what they're finding is that the, the gentrification of these areas have increased tremendously uh, and putting actually the houses and the households out of reach and the surrounding suburbs, the less gentrified suburbs, are where all these people are actually going to. So the low-income family, low socioeconomic people who were living there before have now been squeezed out of their homes and their areas. So green gentrification and greenification of places is great for the environment, really good for the environment, really good for the local environment and also globally. And it does help the people living nearby, but you can't forget those who are still in the low economic areas, they need to also be brought up. And that can't be simply tackled by building a new park. So there needs to be other ways to improve a more holistic approach to make sure that you're not forgetting some people and just displacing them when you pull in a nice environmentally friendly eco project. if you've got an idea and you want to help change the world and you want to help improve the situation for people either environmentally economically or sociologically and you've got an idea but you don't know where to start and there's a lot of great programs out there that are seed incubators that help you get an idea and turn it into reality and one of those being run locally here in melbourne is the seed socio-economic engagement and development incubators and they're running it universities such as Monash, Melbourne and Swinburne. Let's speak a little bit about the Monash University one. And we're going to hear an interview shortly with someone who's helping coordinate that program. And with over 3,000 members, 12,000 people supporting, they're about finding projects that can help improve the quality of life of people uh, that actually benefit the community and aren't out there necessarily to make money. The problem with a lot of uh, startup incubators is that they're all about producing like things like Facebook or Google or big things that can make people a lot of money. And that's great, but that doesn't actually necessarily help out the rest of the economy. And that's why social enterprises that are about improving sustainability and also helping the community that they're from rather than top down from a big corporation can be quite beneficial. 
And Seed, for example, is running an incubator, which means that you could have a program and you pitch to the group and they will help line you up and give you the skills needed to start actually turning that into a successful enterprise. Not really a business that's going to make money, but an enterprise that will be able to sustainably help people. Such as, thank you, a place that produces products in the food and water and healthcare body care range, diverting 100% of its profits back to actions to fight global poverty, funding safe water, food, and environmental and health and safe safety programs, which is a great idea to have a socially responsible enterprise. So we spoke to former contributor to Lagrange Point and current head of social enterprises at Monash Seed to find out a bit more about what this incubator program is and what the aims are. It stands for socio-economic engagement and development, and this incubator program, like all incubators, if you have an idea for business, come in. This is a five-week program, and there's one session each week, which gives you a different skill. Great. Um, but Seed in particular has a massive focus on creating social good mm-hmm. through social, uh, financially sustainable means, like small business. Yeah. Um, so if you have an idea for a business that will do something good, create a social change, make a positive environmental impact, this is an incubator specific for that. That sounds really amazing. So what are you involved in? What's your pitch? I'm helping organize, yeah. Oh, that's cool. It's all right. So I thought, I thought you were having a pitch as part of the program. Oh, no, 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 no. I, w- I want to do something one day, but this is not the day. Okay, so you're more like facilitating this, yeah. helping facilitate this program. Helping facilitate it. So who's, who's, who's running, who, where's the money coming for this um, the money is coming from, we've got a little bit from Monash Bezeko. Yep. Love Bezeko. Uh, a little bit from a place called The Difference Incubator. Yep. And a little bit from NAB. Okay, so it's being incubated by an incubator. So it's an incubator created out of an incubator. It's, it's an like incubator. Um, the money for this, all our guests, because they're doing this pro bono. Yeah, um, of course. Yeah. So they're providing support. They're, bless them all. Um, our prize, though, is worth $5,000, which is also subsidizing the prize. Yeah. And NAB's giving us a venue for the pitch night, but apart from that, it's all uh, free and a little bit for seed having our bank account. Well, it's, it's, more, it's more about the program is actually trying to start things rather yeah. than literally fund, but it's more about to give people the skills and the access and the ability and, and the know-how so that they can start it. That's, that's what yeah. an incubator should do. Uh, um, ours is really basic. It's like, um, it's your... First step. This is my yeah, very yeah, first yeah. incubator. Yeah, it's yeah. the picture book. Yeah. Um, but the prize at the end of this, if there's a standout, they get entry into like, the, prop- a, the big one. A yeah. bigger incubator. That's really exciting. It is. I'm, I hope it works. So, what do you have to do to apply and what, what, how are you eligible? Um, to be eligible, you need to be a university student, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, Monash, Melbourne, Swinburne, RMIT. Yep. Um, how to apply? There's an event, it's called the Incubator by Monash Seed on Facebook. Or there's a website, it's the Monash Seed website, and you go social enterprise, and then you go incubator, and there's an application form. And also, like, this info pack that details what each week is and where it's going to be, mm-hmm. and what the prize is a bit more. Those are the two main avenues. Because the Facebook event links back to our website anyway. All yeah. applications go through the website. Yep. Great. So if you want to find out, if you're a university student and you've got an idea that can help be sustainable small business idea, yeah, that have a positive change or a positive yeah. good in the, in the world, yeah. Take it to Seed Incubator. Yeah. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. This is what we learnt about growing sustainable small enterprise, how solar panels can change the climate around them, along with how palm oil plantations can be sustainable and measuring the impact of green gentrification. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.